two places I want you to go to tonight in the Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 12 and Luke 21. Mark chapter 12, right at the end of that chapter, verse 41, it says, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrans or a farthing. So he called disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she put in of her poverty. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. And in the same incident here in Luke chapter 21, right at the beginning of it, it's almost identical, but slightly different. Then he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all her livelihood that she had story of the widow's mites is one of the more well-known ones in the New Testament. It has become a byword for sacrificial giving. We even still talk today about the widow's mite. And it all began one day when Jesus entered the temple area, the temple precincts. It was one of those days whenever he had been continually harangued and by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, always trying to catch him in his words and in his teaching. And they're raising such questions as uh, regarding uh, the resurrection. And what would happen if, uh, say, a man dies and he leaves a wife, but he leaves no children? According to Moses, then, if that man has got a brother, he could marry her and he could have children onto. Uh, his late brother. But then what would happen if he died and left no children and he had another brother and he married and he died and left no children all the way through so that all seven had married the same woman, well, whose husband would she be in the resurrection? So they're asking me these questions about whether it was lawful to pay tribute, pay taxes unto Caesar, and which is the first commandment of all. So we're always, always trying to trick him and trip him up. Although Jesus was more than able for all of their questions. Yet it must have been a long, tiring, trying day. Listening to these religious hypocrites all day long. And so he retires to the temple area known as the court of the woman. And perhaps he just went there maybe for a rest maybe to contemplate the day's proceedings, thinking about what has been happening. And I can imagine then when he would go into there, uh, that he would perhaps get into the shaded area and maybe put his back against the wall and 
was thinking, just thinking perhaps of what had been happening that day. But he positioned himself uh, before the treasury, and these would be 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles that people would come to and they would throw their coins in. And some of it would be for the upkeep of the priests, some of it would be for the poor. And so the court of the woman was quite a big area, not as big as the court of the Gentiles, which it backed onto, but it would be an area probably at least four times the length and the width of this building that you're sitting in. So it would hold literally hundreds of people. And of course, in any given day, there would be hundreds of people there because the temple was a wonderful sight to behold. And so this, incidentally, would be the, almost the last time that Jesus would ever be in the temple. In fact, there was only one more occasion after this, his final visit to the temple. And so maybe he was thinking on all of those things and what was lying ahead as well. And so while the master is sitting there in the shade, could I say, with his back to the wall, contemplating, minding his own business, he begins to look up and he sees the people coming along and putting their coins into these offering receptacles. And nothing unusual in that. He had seen that many, many times before. But maybe it was because it was fresh just after this confrontation uh, with these scribes and these Pharisees. And with those listening to the debate that was going on, uh, he says in Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 40, he said, Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogue and the best seats at the feasts who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive the greater condemnation. Who, does, who devour widows' houses. Now you have to understand that in those days, that few of the ordinary five-eighths people could read or write. Uh, that it was mainly the, the, the educated religious sects that could do that. And the scribes were the teachers of the law. So they were very clever men. They were academic and they could be very skillful at what they did. And so when it, when it came to perhaps a business deal or perhaps uh, a squabble over an inheritance, uh, then they would kind of act a little bit like what a, a solicitor would do today. Uh, and poorer people would go to them and get them to draw maybe contracts up or read a contract. But because they were charlatans, uh, they would take advantage of that. And often, they would diddle, if we could use that word, the widows out of their whole inheritance and take their very house from under them. And of course, this maddened Jesus because he knew what this crowd was like. And so, sitting there right before him, shuffling along the line, as it were, was this poor widow woman. And she looked every inch a poor widow woman, poorly clothed. And as a widow, she would probably look forlorn, and, and, and she was destitute. And she very well may have been one of those widows that these charlatans had duped out of her inheritance and had taken her home. She may have been one of those. 
Maybe Jesus was thinking along those lines. Now, this story is, is interesting for a, a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, there is no record at all that Jesus spoke to this woman either before, during, or after this incident. None at all. Uh, it would seem to imply also that this woman was totally unaware of Jesus watching her. If she did see him watching her, it implies that she didn't know who he was at the very least, which is amazing because he was a household name by this time, but she probably just never even noticed. Just going along, maybe with her head down, just like everybody else, just doing their duty, going along, putting their coins into the, the offering uh, receptacles. Did the woman know that Jesus then singled her out as a wonderful example of sacrificial giving? Probably not. Because he didn't make a whole big song and dance about it, as we would say. In fact, he said nothing publicly. He took his disciples aside and said to them only about what she had done. And so, what does this story say about this woman? And what does it say about Christ? And what does it say to us? What can we learn from it? Because all of these incidents in Jesus' life, and there's many of them, are all recorded by the Holy Spirit for our admonition. To encourage us or to challenge us, to inspire us, to make us think. So what about then this widow woman? Even though she was very, very poor indeed, she was literally destitute. And even though she was in dire straits, and even though she was widowed and lonely and forlorn, now unless you were a wealthy widow, which she wasn't, then it was very difficult being a widow. Very difficult. Life was really, really hard. And yet in spite of all that, she believed and she trusted in God. At the worst possible of times in her life, she still had faith and didn't lose her faith and her trust in God. So many times as believers, whenever things go wrong and trouble strikes and we go through a hard time, so many believers lose their faith and their trust in the Lord. Even temporarily, but they lose their faith and their trust in the Lord. Naomi in the Old Testament. Remember how she went out to Moab because there was a famine in her country? And how she took her husband and her two sons. And both her husband and her two sons died. And she came back with her daughter-in-law Ruth. And the woman met her. She came back after those several years. And they said, is this not Naomi? Now Naomi means pleasant. And she says, don't you dare call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. She was bitter in spirit. For she says, I went out full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And so she had a bitter attitude towards God. Now, of course, when you read the whole story, you know how it turned around and God wonderfully blessed her. But at that moment... She felt bitter in spirit against God, and she was angry. 
Remember how Elijah got disillusioned and despondent because after all that he had done and after how God showed up in Mount Carmel and after all of that, nothing changed as far as he was concerned. Ahab and Jezebel were still as wicked as ever and Jezebel threatened him with death. And he ran and he hid in the desert. In Psalm 73, David's choir director. He says, My feet were almost gone, had well nigh slipped because I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He got envious and jealous over the prosperity of the sinners. But this woman had every right in the natural to become angry or bitter or disillusioned or disappondent or despondent, but she didn't. Here she is, right here in God's house. Trusting, still believing, still putting God first, still putting her offering in in spite of the condition that was there, in spite of the circumstances that surrounded her, in spite of all that happened to her, she was still found in the house of the Lord. Amen. Now her giving received, revealed, I should say, the condition of her heart. Her giving Revealed the condition of her heart. Our hand often reveals our heart. Our actions often reveal our attitudes. And this simple act, and it took faith, it took obedience, it took courage, but this simple act that she did revealed her very heart. And it got Jesus' attention. In Mark 12, 41, said, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. And both Mark and Luke record that, that they put in of their abundance. Now, of course, Jesus is not complaining about the rich putting in of their abundance. If God blesses you with abundance, then use that abundance for his kingdom. God is not complaining at all about that. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus and his evangelistic team, could we say, going about, they had a support team of women, Mary Magdalene uh, and Susanna and Joanna, who was the husband, who was the wife of Herod, uh, the steward's husband. And so these were women, it says, and they gave him of their substance and many other women besides, it says. So these were people who were well-heated, we could say, who had a bit of substance, you know, who were well-off, and they used it for the glory of God. So God's not against these people. He's not angry or complaining about them putting in of their abundance. He says, well, that's what they've done. They, they've been blessed, they're abundant, so they put in of that. That's fine. So it was not how much was given that impressed Jesus, but how it was given. How it was given. She gave out of her poverty. She gave when it was a real sacrifice to give. She gave when most people wouldn't have given. When most would have said, I'm down to my last. I can't give that. Surely God doesn't expect me to give this. But she gave all and she gave her whole livelihood, Jesus said. Because he knew every single detail about her life. This was the Son of God. And he knew it. 
And he knew that was all that she had. The actual amount she gave, it was small. In fact, these are the smallest coins that were in existence at that time. She couldn't have given any less numerically. These two mites, these two tiny little copper coins, both of them together to make a farthing. It's absolutely the, absolutely the, <laughs> you couldn't give any less than this. And yet in Christ's eyes, even in comparison to what all the rest give, this was absolutely huge. Because it was her all. And because it was her best. And because it was her last. Nobody can offer God more than their all. She can. And it was her all. Nobody can give God more than their very best. And this was her very best. So this revealed this woman's heart. Her hand revealed her heart. She probably had been a good giver all along. She probably was a good giver in the good times. If we're not good givers in the good times, I can almost guarantee you will not give in the bad times. It's almost a guarantee. But if you're a good giver, and I'm not just talking about finances. It may be your time, it may be your talent, it may be whatever. If you don't give it, in the good times, you'll not give it in the bad times. But if you're a consistent, faithful giver, when bad times come, you'll still give anyway. You know, lots of people, when they're going through bad times, and say, well, you know, when I come out of this, when I get over this, I'm going to do so much. But if they don't give in the bad times, they'll forget God in the good times. I have seen that so many times in God's work. But here she is, this wee woman, <laughs> with her two little mites. And boy, Jesus took notice. You see, when you do your best, when you give your all, even though it may seem small to others, it gets the attention of heaven. Look what it says in Luke 21, verse 2. He saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. He saw. Others looked at her, but they didn't see what he saw. He saw beyond what other men were looking at. He saw her heart. He saw her attitude. He saw her faith. He saw her sacrifice. He saw her willingness to give even her last to the kingdom of God. That's what he saw. And that's what impressed him. Now can you imagine that at the end of that evening, or whenever they counted the offerings, I'm assuming it was the end of each evening. Can you imagine when they took that particular receptacle and they emptied it out in the big table and the Levites all came to count out all those coins and probably, I'm assuming naturally, he had put the bigger ones together 
and then the next bigger ones together, and then the next ones together, and you'd put them into their denominations, if you could use that term. And could you imagine having done all of that, and they're left with these two little mites? Could you imagine some Levite picking those up and looking at it and saying to the rest of them, you wouldn't believe what people put in the offering these days. Look at that. I mean, that's an insult to God, isn't it? I mean, how do they expect the temple to exist? And how do they expect us to give to the priest and give to the poor with these two miserable little coins? What kind of a person would do that? And they would rant and they would rave and they would treat it with utter contempt. These mites were the least valued coins. But in Christ's eyes, those two mites might as well have been two gold ingots. <laughs> in Christ's eyes, they were worth more than all of the offerings put together. Because he wasn't looking just at the amount. He was looking at the heart that gave them. There might have been hundreds and hundreds of people in the court of the woman that day. There might have been hundreds giving in the, that offering. But Christ saw this one act of this one woman. And that's the wonderful thing. And he took those disciples aside and he held it up like a diamond to the sun that they and that we might see its intrinsic worth before God. When somebody does their best, when somebody gives their best, heaven takes notice. God sees it. And after 2,000 years, we're still talking about it, aren't we? And that's why the Holy Spirit recorded that. So that from time to time we might be encouraged. That if we do our best, even though we haven't much to give. We taught something similar a few weeks ago. Even though our talents may be just one. Even if it's just a cup of cold water in His name. God takes notice. And even if we do go through a, a lean time, as it were, and we're down to the bare bones, and we say, God, in better times, I was able to do much more. But right now, Lord, this is all I've got. Believe me, if you give it, God will be as pleased with it as what you gave in the good times. In fact, He'll be more pleased with it because now it's a sacrifice. Now you're not giving out of your abundance. Now you're giving out of your lack. Now you're giving out of your lack. This woman, what she did that day was like the woman who broke the alabaster box over Jesus and it became a memorial to her. And this story about this little woman, even though she didn't know and even though nobody told her, but it was recorded in heaven. And when the Holy Spirit inspired his word to us. He made sure that that story of this little woman would be included. That's how important it is to God. How many times have we done things for God's kingdom in a quiet, unassuming way, never even thinking for a moment 
that the Lord was watching and that he was well pleased with what we did. I'm sure that happens a lot. You do something and you do it quietly in a swimming way, not thinking a whole lot about it. I'm not sure if that wee woman was thinking a whole lot about it that day, but she says, Lord, this is for you, and Lord, that's for the poor. <laughs> and she went on her way, but the Lord saw it. And sometimes we have, may have done that ourselves and said, Lord, I don't have much today, but I'll just do this anyway. And we went on our way, and the Lord took note of it. God marks those things, doesn't he? And one day, I believe he rewards such actions. The narrative doesn't tell us, but I suspect, I suspect that God somehow or other rewarded that wee widow woman for what she did that day. Doesn't tell us, but I suspect he did. I suspect that in the days that lay ahead after that day that she got a surprise blessing that somehow or other God made that up abundantly to her. Remember the little boy who gave Jesus his lunch? There's 12 baskets left over. doesn't say who got them, but you kind of kind of think that he took them home with him. Isn't that what you would think? You'd think he got the blessing because he was the one who gave. And God does that kind of thing. He gives us unexpected blessings along the way. Something else I believe this tells us about Christ as well. The temple was the pride and joy of the Jewish people. It was the central, it was the focal place of their worship in Israel. Every self-respecting Jew would want to see at least once in their lifetime to see the temple. Herod's temple was magnificent. It was a thing of wonder and and beauty. Even though he built the temple part fairly quickly, maybe 18 months to two years, but then he kept adding on and adding on and adding on. And as he kept adding on, time would go on. And there was the court of the Gentiles and the court of the woman and the court of the men of Israel and the court of the priests. And there was Solomon's porch. And there was different porches. And it was reckoned it took, according to John 2, it's reckoned it probably took up to 46 years to build this great temple. And it had huge, imposing gates inside it. 75 feet high, made of Corinthian brass, with silver and gold on it. You remember the miracle at the beautiful gate when Peter and John went past silver and gold have I none? Remember to the beggar man, but such as I have give I thee? Was that the beautiful gate? That was the gate that led into the court of the woman. So this was a magnificent feat of architecture. It was beautiful. The last word, a wonder in that world at that time. It was on a grand scale. But Jesus was not nearly as impressed with it as the disciples were. You know, on their way out, they couldn't resist because they were in awe of it. And on their way out, they try to draw Jesus' attention to it. And here's what he says to them in Mark 13. 
Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Forty years later, the great Roman general Titus, who became an emperor after this, the first siege of Jerusalem, he came in and besieged the city. And eventually, after some time, he broke down the resistance. The temple was set in fire, and not one stone was left upon another. And Jerusalem was raised to the ground. And it was reckoned there was over a million people were slaughtered. Most of them Jewish. And almost a hundred thousand prisoners were taken captive. A few years ago when Sally and I were in Rome, we stood and looked at the Arch of Titus. It's near the Roman Forum. It's not far from the Colosseum. And as you look at the Arch of Titus, you can see on it depicting that very event that was put up in his honor. And you can see the Roman soldiers carrying the menorah, seven-branch candlestick, and the stuff that came out of the temple. There's a great sign of victory on the Titus. And so Jesus was not overly impressed because he knew what the end was going to be. And he knew how corrupt the priesthood was and how it would end in disaster for them. When Jesus left the temple that day, only ever to return once again, the only thing that impressed him was not the magnificent buildings, not the multitude that thronged within its walls, certainly not the religious hierarchy that was performing the ceremonies. It was that one single act of faith and obedience by this little widow woman. Now, I think that it's right and proper that we should try to maintain our church buildings as best that we can and, and not have them shabby. And, you know, this is an old building we have, but you can see we try our best to keep it in good shape. And by the way, those walls are not long painted well. Woe betide the one that dirties them. You'll be hearing from me. And, uh, but we want to keep it nice and keep it as good as we can. And while that's right to do, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is not the building, but you sitting in this building. You're the most important thing to God. If we weren't here, this would just be a building. It could turn it into a carpet warehouse for that matter. But while we're here, then this is sanctified unto God. And it's important to God, not for the bricks and mortar, but for the people, the living temple of God. The living stones, as the Bible calls us, built up into a holy habitation. That's the important thing to God. And even though we may seem small in our own eyes individually. But if we do our best 
if we try to give her all, then that's what gets the attention of heaven. That's what impresses the Lord. That's what caught his eye that day. It wasn't all of those in their long flowing robes. It was that little woman dressed in black, shuffling along with her two little copper coins. You wouldn't have given tuppence for her. You wouldn't have even had, probably even had a, noticed her going by. But the Lord looked up and he saw her. And he saw what nobody else could see. He saw her heart and he saw her hand. And what she had in her hand was a symbol of her heart. It wasn't the smallness of the coins. It was the largeness of her heart. And it's not the smallness of our gifts. It's the largeness of our hearts that God looks at. Have you got a large heart tonight? If you have a large heart towards God tonight, that's what he sees. Everything else will be fine. Do your best. Give your best. Use what talent he's given to you. But if your heart is Lord, even though it's not much, but it's everything of God, that's all he requires. And boy, will he bless that. He will bless that. So there's the little woman. You know, if you read through the Gospels, and really you should do a seriousness, if you read through the Gospels and see the encounters that Jesus has with individual people, the Zacchaeus, the little woman, the woman taking the daughter, you can through all of them, see the encounters that Jesus, they're all there for a reason, they're all there to encourage us, they're all there to inspire us, they're all there to teach us something. And if you begin to read them and ask why and when and how, and what was the context, that, and why did he say that that day? You begin to ask these questions, then the Holy Spirit will begin to minister that to your heart and begin to bless you with this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these little encounters that we read in the Scripture. These individual moments that you had with people. We thank you for them. Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see what you see? Lord, give us big hearts. Generous hearts. Hearts that are open for your kingdom that want to do their best for you. And Lord, we know that you will bless that and that you will take that and use that for your honor and for your glory. Lord, all of us here today, we're five-eighths people. There's none of us are high flyers. We're just ordinary people. But Lord, if our heart is big and open towards you, Lord, that sets us apart. That makes us different. That gets us noticed in heaven. So we thank you for this tonight, Lord. We pray that you'll bless, Lord, this people, Lord, this incoming week as they go into the office and into the school or into the college or into the workplace, wherever, into the home or the neighborhood. Lord, that you will bless them. That their hearts will be opened and enlarged. And Lord, that we will say, take us and use us for your honor and for your glory. Whatever we have got, whatever we possess, whatever we have, Lord, let it be used in your kingdom for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.